It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, Christina. Hello, Chelsea. And, and hello, hello listeners. listeners. And welcome to Parlor of the Paranormal. Ooh. Uh, take take two. two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we tried to record this a while ago, and... We did. We, we, I mean, we didn't try. We succeeded in recording it. However, I you're... Mean, we succeeded in talking about the book. We apparently did not succeed in recording us talking about the book. Here's the thing. We recorded it and it was like intelligible. Like you could understand what you were saying, but your audio was so gosh dang deep fried. Like it was, it was an absolute torture to listen to as a person, yeah. as a human being. So anyway, I've got a new cable. Yes. We fixed, we fixed the hardware problems. We're all a little bit paranoid about our audio now. Yeah, fix the cable. And so we're going to re-record the book we've already talked about. I don't know how this is going to go because we, we've we talked, talked about, about it. it. We got all our good jokes out in advance. I haven't made up new good jokes about this book. So I don't like, even remember what my last good jokes were. So maybe I'll just forget and say them again. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Maybe this will be like a fresh experience. Maybe like the fact that we don't remember what we said the first time. Or here's a better thing. I remember enough about what I said the first time that I think I can get the order of events of the book straight this time. You know, fair. We're real bad at that. A little bit, yeah. But like, now we have a second chance. But the thing is, I had so many questions that we talked about during the first recording. And now it's like, I don't have questions anymore. I've asked them, but I guess I will ask them again. We'll do our best, listener. Yeah. Just please go along with us on this journey, knowing that we've already, you're not getting the first cut, unfortunately, because yeah. I did my best, but there was no saving Chelsea's audio. There was, for me, just for funsies, I put like an old timey radio filter over it just to see if that would make <laughs> it more bearable. And it did. Like you sounded like you were in the 1920s giving like a war report Amazing. from the front, but it did make it slightly more bearable. <laughs> I think maybe we should release that cut, like, kind of unedited, just with that filter on it, <laughs> to, like, $10 and up people. Just, just so funsies. that they can experience the first horrible version. Yeah, yeah. Like, if, because it's like, if you want, like, it's there. 
It's there if you want it. It's bad. It's not good. I say it made it more bearable, but that's like barely. Yeah. 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 Anywho, <sighs> welcome Anywho. to Parlor of the Paranormal. This is the podcast within our podcast where we read a usually horrible paranormal romance novel and then we talk about it. This one, it was bad, but not the worst. It was not the worst. This was technically supposed to be last month's book. Actually, no, wait, it wasn't bad. What? This is the one we found the author on TikTok. Yes, we did. We found the author on TikTok because I found out in venting to some friends about this book that our sweet dear friend Kate read it of her own volition just for funsies because she follows the author on TikTok. Right. I have many questions for Kate, but also I'm remembering now that this book isn't that bad. There are still a lot of things that I don't like about it, but I also said I really want the author to come on Parlor. <laughs> we, the book we read was Stalked by the Kraken by Lillian Lark, and it is a romance novel between a human woman who happens to be a witch and a kraken. Not like big release the Krakens Kraken, but there are definitely tentacles involved. The spirit of Ryan Keeley moved in us and made tentacle porn happen. I'm so sad Ryan wasn't here for this. I know. But she can listen and she can experience you second second go around your reaction to tentacle born. I hope she's proud. (laughs) That you did it, that you made it through? Yes. That you no longer have creative anatomy questions? Uh, no, I still do. All right. Well, I remember last time we did this, I read the entire like back of book blurb about it. I don't know if you want me to do that again. I, I mean, why not? Okay. Rather than give you a non-spoilery summary of the book, I'm just going to read you the like back of book blurb so that you get a vibe of how this is being advertised. Yeah. And I, I will do voices because I can't not. So here we go. Here we go. Hold on. I'm going to put this into a different so I can see Chelsea's face again because I think that I'm going to see her cringe again. Oh, probably. Probably. And I want to be able to watch you cringe. That's the whole, that's the joy I get. Is that the whole point of us doing this podcast? Yes. Okay. It's also I get schadenfreude. Celeste also is delighted. Celeste will get her turn. A matchmaking witch, an ancient sea creature, and the sex contract they make. Welcome to the love bathhouse where desire and acceptance are in the water. The witch. Celibacy is a bad look for a matchmaker. This is very, like, movie t- trailer. I was going to say Lifetime movie, yeah. but, like, not a Lifetime like, movie because there's way too much sex. Yeah, very much not, like, Hallmark approved. And not enough God. No, there's no Jesus in this book at all. No, not at all. Celibacy is a bad look for a matchmaker, especially a matchmaker who works at the kind of paranormal bathhouse that would have grandmothers clutching their pearls. A worse look. Depends on your grandmother. Huh? Well, that's true. I think her grandmother would be chill with it. Yeah. Rose's grandma would be chill with it. A worse look is a matchmaker experiencing a crisis of confidence. I am that matchmaker. We need raw magic desperately. And now a mysterious man walks into my office, offering me the exact solution I need. The problem is that he wants to be matched with me. Matching doesn't work for me. I found that out the hard way. Brunz. Hard way. No, Jesus. (laughs) No, no, Jesus. And then the other half of this is the Kraken. 
I saw her and the creature inside me wanted. She doesn't want a relationship. She says that the most we can have are the three nights she promised me. But the dark part of myself isn't going to let the woman who snared its attention go. I found her. I hunted her. She's mine. Stalked by the Kraken is a monster romance that features tentacles. This book is a standalone and takes place in the same world as, and prior to the events of, Three of Hearts, with some character crossover. Content warning, this book includes breeding behavior and mentions of infertility. I hate that. Breeding behavior. I hate it. It was definitely not a kink of mine, and I hate it. <laughs> What's the opposite of a kink? I People used to say squick. Like, that squicks oh, yeah. me out. Do you remember that? God, that took me back. When it would just, like, the, the very idea of something made you as dry and barren as the Sahara Desert. Yeah. 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 Unsubmissive and infertile. Ooh. As the kids say. <laughs> Gross. I don't like that either. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah, that's basically the premise of the book. I feel like that's a good summary of, like, what you're going to get into because yeah. there's tentacles there's breeding. There's so much tentacles, guys. There's sex contracts with magic. Sex magic is definitely a big part of this. It's also very sex positive, which weirdly we have come across not sex positive sex books. Yeah, no, it's sex positive in a great way. Thanks, Lillian Lark. Yeah. Shout out. So we're going to get into the main description of the plot of Stalked by the Kraken. But first, we are going to have a brief word from our sponsors. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should, too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome back, everyone. 
We are now going to go into the description, summary, plot thing for Stock by the Kraken. Right. Lillian Lark, if you're listening to this, this is all in good fun and we love you. Yeah, we would love for you to be on the podcast. Uh, and I think that largely our, the bar for this podcast is incredibly low. And this book did easily go over the bar. However. Like with some exceptions, it's not necessarily an exception. It's just questions that I have. The anatomy made sense. Uh-huh. With the exception of a lot of questions I have about tentacle porn. Which, you know what? I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into it, shall we? We shall. We're starting with our main male protagonist, whose name is Gideon Strand. I also kind of hate that name. Okay. Uh, In this universe, there is mythical creatures, magical creatures, as well as like witches and etc. And there are some beings that are like so magical that they reach like this high tier magic level of being mythic. And that is Gideon Strand, who is one of the species Kraken. Yeah. And Krakens are basically giant sea squid monsters, and they are basically immortal. Some of them have died, and they are dying out, or just, like, going inert. Like, they're losing the will to live, basically. And we aren't really given, like, a clear answer as to how many are left. Yeah. I don't think Gideon knows. Gideon also, I think, says at one point that it's possible he's the last one. Yeah, I don't think, because he says he hasn't seen another one in, like, a couple hundred years. Yeah. So he has no idea if he's the last one or if there are others, but he knows that there aren't a lot going around and not many beings currently know what he is. Right. And in the first chapter, we bring up the first thing that bothers me about this book that's come up in other books, which is that Gideon talks about himself like in the third person as like the creature within him desires things. I that it's it's a trope that is come up before in these in these kinds of books and i don't understand it and i don't really like it it is it's very common especially in books that are describing like shifters or people who are like human but have a more animalistic nature where yeah that one book about demons yeah god i freaking hated that book I, that book was awful. I'm here with you, Chelsea, because I also don't really like this trope where you describe like this person's more monstrous instincts and urges as a separate being. So he keeps saying, like, my creature hungered. And I'm like, okay, bro, it's just you. Yeah. It's not like you have like an inner demon or whatever, quote unquote. It's literally all just you. <laughs> Which, speaking of the demon book, we still were not ever given a full answer as to whether or not the demon was a separate part of the person. Whether they were possessed (laughs) or not. No, yeah. So Gideon... was never answered. Gideon has this inner creature, quote unquote, his kraken. And we also are very quickly introduced to another trope that I'm not a big fan of, which is that he is in a coffee shop and he looks over to the other side of the coffee shop and instantly falls head over heels in love with our female protagonist, Rose Love. There's no reason. Like, fucking soulmate shit is dumb. Basically, like, I get it. It's a trope that's used to, because you're trying to, like, speed up and... It's shorthand. It's a shorthand. You're giving the characters a reason to, like, pursue each other other than just being like, oh, they're hot. And in... To this credit, it's sort of a one-sided soulmate thing. 
Like Gideon's real, but instantly also, like locked onto Rose, but Rose doesn't reciprocate immediately. But also, why not just be like, she hot? What's wrong with that? She he do think she hot, but he also is like, she is my mate, and I I need to claim her forevermore. Like, why is that necessary though? Why couldn't it just be she hot? She works at a place that does sex magic. I bet she'd be into doing some sex magic. I don't think it's the sex magic that he's really interested in, though. No, but I'm saying he just wants to, like, have sex with her because she's hot. And then, like, has... Or like, I'm just saying he that there's could, no reason He for could it. think she's pretty and then, re- like, you know, go and pursue her just because he thinks she's interesting and wants to find out more about her. People do that. You don't have to be a soulmate. Yeah. But he is. He thinks that she's a soulmate. She's He's instantly like, I have to have her and, and make her mine. And he then sets about stalking her. Also a trope. Also not okay. For like at least a week. He learns a lot of things about Rose during this time period. In the first instance we see her and meet her, he eavesdrop on a conversation she's having with her friends where it's revealed that like Rose is not feeling very confident. She hasn't been, you know, interacting with her usual gang of people very much. There's some other stuff that we learn about her instantly. I know that at one point we learn a lot about Gideon, where it's described that he is, like, a private investigator, I guess? Yeah. His exact job title was never explicitly given. He refers to himself as a treasure hunter. Because it's basically, like, yes, he finds people, but he can also be employed to, like, find things for people. Which I guess he's... I think it was described that his... Who he is, like, as a creature is, like, exceptionally good at that. Because he wants shiny thing. He wants treasure. Yes. Yeah. Shiny. The Kraken want treasure. And, you know, pirate lores and whatever. But the goal yeah. that he is right now, he was ostensibly in the coffee shop because he's staking out this antique store across the street where their client says that a missing family heirloom, this amulet, was stolen and they tracked it down. It's going to be sold at an auction at this antique shop. And... Gideon is part of this group that was hired to go get it back. So he goes to like stake the place out, which is where he sees Rose. And Rose works at the building next door to the antique shop, which looks like a video rental store, but actually. But is not. It is not. It is secretly a sexy magic bathhouse. Bring back bathhouses. They sound lovely. I don't think they like, went I know away. there's a whole bunch. Well, in other parts of the world, but there aren't any really in the U.S., I think there, I mean, I don't know if there are many. I feel like there are. I feel like you could find one. There used to be some in San Francisco, but they do not exist anymore. I know that San Francisco cracked on hard on that. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes sex does happen in a bathhouse. And a lot of sex happens in this particular bathhouse. Yes, this bathhouse is pretty much for sex. I I do want to give Lillian Lark props for the way that this exposition is given because she manages to make it work very diagenically where yeah. Gideon is, A, he's stalking Rose. He's following her to her house. He's seeing, like, where she goes to work, who's coming and going from her house, who's coming and going from her work. He's basically, like, learning her routine, but he has not approached her yet. In about this week that he's watching her, he hasn't actually spoken to her or let her see him, which isn't creepy at all. But no, not at all. He wants to figure out what the purpose of the bathhouse is and what Rose's exact job is there. So he decides to hire a different private investigator who, from what I understand, is a character in another one of William Lark's books. 
Yeah, okay. And that private investigator goes in to be like, hey, what's the deal with the bathhouse? Yeah. And we are told through, like, explaining, like, they do it in a way that, like, the guy who lives, who work, is at the front desk is Rose's cousin. And he's like, oh, well, let me give you a brochure. And they explain the purpose of the bathhouse is that it is owned by the Love family. And it is set up in such a way that it siphons magic once you go inside. So if you go in and you bang, sex magic generates a lot of just like, you know, ambient magic, which the bathhouse then sucks up. And the Rose family, not the Rose family, the Love family can sell to other people who need magic for things. And the reason you would go to this bathhouse is because Rose is a particularly good matchmaker. Yes. She's able to make matches and people are like really happy by who she matches them with. So that's this that's the the spectrum of services that they provide. Also, you can just go in there and fuck yeah. in like a really nice place. It's like a without judgment. Well-maintained facility if you want just like a nice maybe you're into voyeurism and you want a nice like clean and well-maintained spot to to bone where other people will see you. Bathhouse yeah. Or you just want a really nice, clean area that has lots of like sexy magic stuff, like a sexy magic hot tub and sexy magic lube, things like that. They they provide that as well. It's just a did sexy they mention, magic place. Did they mention providing sexy magic lube? I thought they did. They might I know there's done. the solve that is like if you are sore after your <laughs> after your after session, you romp, after your romp. then it'll help. Yeah. <laughs> Go I get thought your... they mentioned lube. They I probably did. They probably did. Again, very sex positive book where there's, yes, the goal is like you can go, you can get matched up by Rose to somebody you're very compatible with for a relationship. The catch being, I guess it's not much a catch and just like in exchange, your first night together, you have to spend it in the bathhouse and there's private rooms if you don't want to be watched. It's all kind of like, you know, everybody knows what's up. Everybody's above board. It's not skeezy or, or skeevy or dangerous in any way. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's very also like this book is sex worker positive. Yeah. Sex positive, which again, weirdly for the books that we read and a lot of them are about sex. A lot of them are still not like super sex or sex worker positive. No. And this book also is very good when it comes to ideas of like consent and like validating people and acknowledging that like your kinks are usually pretty harmless and fine. Yeah. For once, there isn't any dubious consent. No. But in this book, we have this harpy, I believe she is, goes in as a private investigator hired by Gideon, finds all this info out. And then goes to tell Gideon, hey, this is the situation. There's this girl, Rose. She's a matchmaker. It's a sex bathhouse, blah, 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 blah. And in the course of him stalking her, Gideon has learned that Rose just got out or sort of, they refer to something as the Jackson incident. Which is another book thing that bothers me because this is like, I feel like uh, you were saying a lot of the exposition in this book was actually done really well. And I agree. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing about this felt weird. We find out later the Jackson incident is there's literally a guy named Jackson that was dating Rose that broke up with her pretty horribly because he's an awful human being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for the first third of the book, they only refer to it as the Jackson incident and they sort of just allude to things that happened. But the book is also told in a first person perspective and 
it just felt really weird and it felt like a really strange way for the author to just kind of like reveal everything later when it one wasn't really necessary to have a reveal later um i felt and two it it was like the only dialogue in the book when in the first third when they still weren't saying what happened was the only dialogue that felt really stilted I personally didn't have a problem with it. I can see, I guess, why you did, but it didn't really bother me when I was reading it. The discussion that, yeah, she had this ex-boyfriend named Jackson, and the fact that when we're first introduced to the concept of the Jackson incident, quote-unquote, we are told that Rose has had her confidence shaken in matchmaking because of the Jackson incident. And... We are not told exactly what that means. I at first assumed that maybe she had matched somebody to someone named Jackson or or maybe matched yeah. the Jacksons, who knows. And it went yeah. horribly wrong. Which that's in a what way, I thought too. In a way, that's true. Right. It's just that we find out the person she matched to Jackson was herself. Yes. Yeah. And it was supposed to be like a 100% match. Yeah. He was supposed to be her perfect match, her soulmate, basically. But when they got together, it turns out that he was a dick and he was really slut shamey and he was gross. And he yeah. really, A, shook Rose's confidence in herself and B, shook her confidence in matchmaking. Because if Rose can go so bad with matching her, what she thought soulmate, who else has she screwed up? Yeah. And so with this confidence shaken, she is sort of pulling back from doing as many matches at the bathhouse. She's not matching people as often. She's not really answering her emails. She's kind of like been a little bit of a wreck at work. And it's a family owned establishment. So like her older brother is in charge of the bathhouse and her cousin is like the main dude in the front. So they know what's up. They're like aware of her life situation. And oh, speaking of which, speaking yeah. of the brother and the cousin. Hey, guess what? In this book, gay people exist. Gay people it's exist. Very exciting. Bisexual people exist. Isn't it the cousin that she matches with the guy that comes in to fix everything? Yeah, I thought that okay. was a little bit like just that, I guess, didn't need to happen in my opinion because that felt a little bit. I thought it was like, cute. Yeah, it for me, it felt a little cheesy. The fact that she does match her cousin with this guy who's it's like a throwaway like section yeah. in the book they they don't come back ever again but no but you know gay people exist gay people do exist and are acknowledged yeah as are many other forms of gender and sexual expression true so like that was refreshing yeah yeah because so often they don't and that's annoying it yeah. yeah yeah so like her cousin and her brother are like hey you haven't been matching people as often and we've actually gotten a lot less magic recently because of that. They originally, there's an issue where they're not making as much, generating as much magic as they used to be. And they originally believe that's because Rose has not been matching people as much, which yes. also gives her a little bit of anxiety. And that's kind of living in Rose's head when this dude just busts into her office. And obviously we, the reader knows this dude is Gideon Strand who has found out that Rose is not feeling very confident, knows that she's a matchmaker, knows that there's some kind of thing going on with the magic at the bathhouse. Like he's gotten this much information from stalking her. And so he rolls up with like seemingly the perfect solution. Also immediately Rose is like, he hot. Yeah. Rose is like, Ooh, attractive. And the solution that Gideon presents, cause he just kind of rolls up and is like, hello, I am a Kraken. Do you know what that is? And she's like, oh, yeah, 
I, I do know what that is. And he's like, sick. I'm so magical right now. I want to sleep with you. And he, she's just kind of like, excuse me? And he says, yeah, I would like you to match me with you, please. And I will. I would like to sleep with you, please. And she's just kind of like, okay. And then he says, think about how much magic we'll make for your bathhouse if you sleep with me. Yeah. And that's kind of like a record scratch for Rose. Because she's like, hold on. Do you think I'm a sex worker? Like, the book is very sex worker positive, but it goes... But Rose is not a sex worker. Rose is not a sex worker. She, like, has expresses that she has never actually had sex in exchange for any sort of compensation before. She has taken part in sexual activities with other people in the bathhouse before, but it's always just kind of been for fun. Like, it's just because she felt like it and wanted to. She has never had sex with somebody explicitly for the compensation of some kind of monetary or otherwise physical gain. And she doesn't want to cross that line because that, for her, makes her feel unprofessional as a matchmaker. Yeah. And so she kind of gets a little bit offended to Gideon. Like, bro, I'm not a sex worker. Like, I'm a matchmaker. They're not the same thing. And he's kind of backpedaling now because he's like, I was just trying to be like, that's just a fringe benefit. I just want to sleep with you because you're hot, please. And I, do you also think I'm attractive? I swear this will be great, please. That was just a fringe benefit. He's backpedaling. He's trying to basically like make this, the, he doesn't just want to have sex with her. He wants to be in a relationship with her. But Gideon feels like he can't come on too strong or he'll scare her away. Yeah. And so his opinion is just like, if I just make this about sex, it'll be less intimidating for her, which I, I guess is true, but it also leads to one of the most like frustrating miscommunications of this whole book. Yeah, it does. Also, he wants to, ha- he, he presents it as just like having sex with her, but is also like, but also I will take you on dates. Yeah. He's like, I want to get to know you first. And I'm like, how is this not a relationship? <laughs> like, there's a pretense here, but I feel like it's a weak one. And Rose agrees to do it, ultimately. It's part part of the thing is, like, she's felt very insecure about herself. And Gideon wanting to have sex with her very badly kind of does make her feel a little bit better about herself in that way. But, yeah. Also, it's, for her, it's like, I gotta get back in the saddle. I can't let this jackson incident loom over me my whole life and make me feel bad and stop me from doing the things i love so she agrees to have sex with him three times yes and preceding those three times there will be three dates where they like yeah hang out and get to know each other yeah again this just feels like a relationship guys like maybe you're not it does yeah maybe you're not boyfriend girlfriend but like why not just say let's go on some dates why not just ask her out I don't know. I don't know. The first date they go on is at the coffee shop, which is just like across the street. And they immediately open up to each other, uh, mostly Gideon, I feel like, about some pretty heavy stuff. Is this when he tells her that uh, he's not sure if he can have kids? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not exactly like first date conversation. I wouldn't know, but it's not exactly first date conversation, I think. I Yeah, I don't think it's a first date conversation, to be honest. Because they go to the coffee shop. They're just kind of like getting to know each other. They're talking about their powers and stuff. One thing that intrigues Rose about Gideon is that part of Rose's matchmaking is she can see these things called soul threads. 
And soul threads are exactly what they sound like. They're like these strings of magic that come off of your soul and they can be different colors and different shapes and stuff. Uh, and it basically tells her what kind of person you are. And depending on how similar your soul threads are to somebody else's, the more alike you two are, the more compatible you two are. And the weird thing about Gideon is that she can't see his. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have any. And she yeah. she sort of just decides that that must be a thing about mythical creatures. Right. It's like maybe he doesn't have them, which is not correct. But no. Also, but we like, don't find that out until like literally the end of the book. Yeah. So, and it's also, it's also not entirely wrong because it is kind of like she can't see them because he's a mythical creature. It's like, that's, yeah, that's kind of true. So she's intrigued by that. She goes and she sort of talks to him about what her job is and what she does. And they get on the subject of Gideon being possibly one of the last Krakens and Kraken reproduction and the fact that Gideon really, really desperately wants to have kids, like reproduce and continue the Kraken race. But he is not certain if he's fertile or not. Uh, This is the discussion of infertility that is brought up. Date one. Date, date one. Off to a great start. Yep. It's getting very intense. And this is like very clearly something that hits very close to home for Gideon. This concept of like, it's one of the big insecurity he has is that maybe I won't be able to have children. And Rose is just kind of like, oh, I'm sorry. Like she is endeared by this. Like she sees his more vulnerable side and in a way trusts him more. It makes her feel more comfortable around him because he is opening up to her. So she's now chill with sleeping with him. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty quickly. She's just kind of like, okay, I'll sleep with you. Also, yeah. you're hot. She does ask about tentacles. She does ask about tentacles. They are present. He is currently in human form. Yes. But they do exist. They. D- Wait, the human form exists or what? The tentacles exist. Yes. Okay, so we'll skip right on into the sexy bit. So they go back to the bathhouse. And they get a private room and Rose explains how the whole like bathhouse magic drain thing works. There's a ritual that they have to do with lighting candles that activates the the magic siphoning stuff that goes on. And then they have sex. And it's like there's they're pretty clear about establishing their boundaries. There is like a whole interplay thing, which I sort of get where Rose is very nervous about expressing what she wants because she is afraid that she will be shamed for it because that's what Jackson did. Yeah, because I guess the one like she asked Jackson to uh go down on her and Jackson was like men don't do that. Yeah, he was like that's gross and she was like, "Oh, that's, that's like, like she was like that's mild." Yeah, she's like that's like one of the more vanilla things I like, like bro. And to be but clear, also real men do do that. To be clear, that's pretty vanilla. Like Oral sex is pretty, like, bog standard, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, no shame to anybody who doesn't like it. But you know what I'm saying. That's fair. Yeah. I'm not going to. But, you know, if your partner asks for it. You don't don't need to shame shame them for asking for it. Yeah. Don't shame somebody for asking you to to do something. And if you're not down for that, then you better not assume that. They're going to go down on you. Yeah, right? And also, there are solutions. But anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, it, it, kind of irrelevant to the conversation I was just uh, saying. That's fair. 
So Rose is nervous about expressing the things that she wants because she is afraid Gideon will shame her for the things that she wants because Rose is not a vanilla person. She has kinks and she wants to fulfill them. And she She has participated in many orgy. More than one orgy, certainly. And she's she's now self-conscious about that. But Gideon seems down to clown for just about anything. Like he's literally like, yeah, whatever. I'll do whatever you want. Because he is so caught up in it. He's just kind of like, she is literally my mate. She's perfect in every way and I'll do everything she wants. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about the tentacles, but spoiler alert, she feels great about it. She does feel great about it. It's, yeah, the interplay is like, Gideon expresses that he wants to, he's got like a one of his kinks, is shifting into a more non-human form during sex. And that's probably pretty standard in this world. They say that, like, it's it's a common thing for monsters or mythical creatures who do have a non-human form to say that being non-human while having sex does feel better. Which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, sure, go for it. And she's like, I make no promises about liking the tentacles. But as Chelsea said, she do. I can't remember what questions I had about the tentacles now. I think that you're now, you're tentacle fulfilled. You're, you, like, you've experienced the tentacles and you're like, okay, you've accepted the tentacles into your heart. Because I remember last time I was like, I have questions about anatomy. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we discussed it for quite a while. Yes. No, I remember I, this because okay. a big part of this sex scene, along with, there's a couple of things going on in this sex scene. One is that Rose is saying that she doesn't want to voice what she wants. This is a big interplay for me where I got a little bit frustrated listening to this because it's a reoccurring thing of Rose being like, I, I don't want to tell you what I want. I just want you to do it. And Gideon being like, how do I know what you want me to do if you don't tell me? And I'm just yeah. like, guys, you need to communicate better. <laughs> and it did not help. Okay, small aside, Rose has a lot of self-confidence issues that would be fine if the narrator of this audiobook did not sound like she was about to burst into tears every single second of the book. Maybe that's just me. I don't know, Chelsea. I mean, I I listened to it at two times the speed, so I don't know. When I listened to it, the narrator sounded like she was going to start crying at the drop of a hat throughout the entire book. Like, even in areas where she was supposed to be happy, like Rose was enjoying herself, the narrator sounded like she was going to start crying. And I wanted to strangle her. You know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like to me that you need to read, you need to become an audiobook narrator. I mean, sexy books. I'm willing. I'm, I'm ready. I'm right here. Come on. There's a lot of people who have requested your recording. It pr- provide proof of purchase of the original book and we'll talk. Um, so the big other thing with this sex scene is stuffing, which I think is the actual right. term. Because I had questions. Gideon gets off on putting his tentacles inside of Rose and seeing how many he can fit and how much he can fit. It's a lot. It's a lot. Turns, spoilers, it's a lot. And I remember from our first conversation, I'm having flashbacks now because I told you the story about how I first learned that vaginal fisting was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Because that was your question. You were like, how is this comfortable? And then we started talking about vaginal fisting. To be fair, I still don't understand how it's comfortable. As a person with a vagina, it's I just don't everybody. understand. Sometimes I realize it's not kink. for everybody, but there's a lot of kinks that I can be like, it's not for me, but I get it. This one, just do not understand. Some people like having stuff a lot, a lot shoved in their vagina. Some people like that. 
I know the vagina is like magic. Yes. Baby come out of vagina uh-huh. and vagina just go back to normal. Yes. Usually. Science, I guess, does explain that, but it, I, it goes over my head. I but feel I'm like- still... Because, yeah, I know, I think we discussed this, too, because I think what the big problem is, like, it's not, I, with this, okay, okay, Chelsea, okay, I'm, I'm putting the pieces together, because you're, you're over here, like, wouldn't that be painful, right? Yes. Because childbirth is painful, right? Right, and I do understand that some people like pain during sex. Yes. I think that it's not the vagina stretching that's what makes childbirth painful, even though I'm sure that's part of it, depending on how big the baby is. I'm pretty sure it's the cervix opening that's painful. That's true. Because you have got explained many a time to me how the process of an IUD is incredibly painful. It's the worst. Because they have to put it inside your cervix. Yeah. So one assumes, if I'm put, if I'm connecting the dots, freaking... Shane Madej style, connecting the dots over here. <laughs> I think that the the issue is the cervix, not the not the it's the vagina that's, itself. That's possible. Um, because as I have learned from my college roommate, <laughs> some ladies do in fact like having a fist shoved up there. We had this conversation as well. Yeah, about sweet, sweet, tiny, <laughs> sweet, sweet, tiny, <laughs> who was quite Honestly, the hate with all the lesbians on campus. I'm just shocked because she tiny. She's so tiny. I, I here, Here's the thing. I think you're thinking she's the one with getting fisted. I don't think that oh, was the Oh, I thought that situ- was true. I don't think that was the situation, Chelsea. Ah, uh, then I was misreading the situation. I don't want to make assumptions about, especially not on a podcast where she has no control over what I say, but I think that she was, she was the fister, not the fisty is what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. I deeply apologize if this ever gets back to you. Great. She's lovely. She's wonderful. I'm not going to say her last name on this podcast because I don't want to put her on blast. Anywho, my assumption with this. Yes. So going completely off track here. (laughs) Gideon likes shoving tentacles up inside of Rose. Rose turns out is also into it more than she expected she would be. The one thing that they do mention about the tentacles that I'm like, okay, I get that. There's suckers on tentacles. Yeah. And the author describes them sucking on both her nipples and her clitoris. And I'm like, okay, all right. That makes sense. Honestly, the tentacles are a very versatile appendage because there's some bondage stuff going on here because she talks Mm -hmm. about how she's immobilized by the tentacles. Yeah. You've got a lot of things that can be touching multiple places at once that are all prehensile. True. Clearly, you can get just she does get double stuffed. She gets double stuffed with tentacle. Yeah. She does make a comment at one point, which I did find funny. It, it did get a humorous, like a sensible chuckle out of me as I was listening, where she was like, is it going to fall off? Like, is your is the dick tentacle going to fall right. off? Because she said that she had seen something like that on uh, Animal Planet. Yeah. She was like, I saw a thing. On, I saw a special on the Discovery Channel about that. And he's like, what? <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Apparently some squid, when they have sex, just detach penis. Yeah, and they, they just like leave it inside, which I'm like, the animals, animal kingdom's crazy. The animal kingdom is nuts. Animal kingdom's Damn nuts. nature, you scary. Nature, what are you even doing? But they both have a rip-roaring good time. And 
afterwards, they're like, okay, this went great, actually. And Gideon reveals that that's actually the first time he's ever shifted while having sex with someone. Mm-hmm. Like, it's something he's always wanted to do, but he's never done it. And his little heart is going pitter-patter, doki-doki, because he's like, my soulmate accepted the tentacles. And he's so he's stoked about that. Like, over-accepted. Not yeah. over-accepted, because that implies, like, too much, but, like, very much accepted. It's not even, it's not just that she was chill with it. Rose liked it. And yes. Gideon's like, yes! So, first date, success. They go on, there's a little bit of, like, in-between stuff that we learn. I think that after the first date is when we learned that there is, the problem with the magic at the bathhouse is not just that they're not making as much, it's that they find out there's a leak. Someone is siphoning magic out of the bathhouse without the proprietors of the bathhouse's knowledge. Yes. And so they have to have somebody come in and fix that. It also feels kind of violating because the only way for that to have happened was someone could have had to have come in to use the bathhouse. Yes. So one of their patrons came in and did some magic in the bathhouse that is stealing magic from them that they legally earned. Yes. And that's a troubling thing that they, they're able to fix it and stop up the leak. But, you know, that's a concern that they have. And the person that stops up the leak is the one that the cousin is like hot gay for. for. Yeah. There's like a, a dude who's like their magic mechanic, I guess. He's just real good with runes and stuff. Yeah. There's not much about him said in the book. Maybe he's going to be in a sequel. Who's to say? Who's to say? At the same time that this happens or around a similar time that this happens, Gideon is still staking out this antique store next door and they find out that like there's some shady stuff going on at the antique store. It's not just a normal antique store that's doing normal auctions. It's like beyond shady. Yeah. They are in fact having like they're selling people. It's human trafficking. Yes. Or monster trafficking. Yeah. Sapient being trafficking. It gets touchy, not just because it's human trafficking, but because apparently we, we get some of the lore of the world in this section where apparently, like, the supernatural world has only recently gotten, like, a governing body and laws attached to that governing body. And one of the reasons that this happened is because human or magical being trafficking was apparently a huge fucking problem. Yeah, and not everybody is, like, super sure if they trust the magic council or whatever it's called. It is a council. They're not sure if they, like, really go for the council's authority because it is so new. And Gideon describes how part of his job that he does, he is like a partner in, not in crime, in the opposite of crime. He is a partner in his work who is a demon, I think, right? He's a demon. I think so, yeah. Who it does pop up in the story every now and then. I do not remember his name. But the two of them used to break up trafficking rings. Like, that's something that they did together, which was never, like, officially their job. It's not something that's happened recently, but it is something that he's comfortable doing. So, like, as soon as they find out, oh, this antique shop is doing trafficking, he's like, okay, well, then our job's just changed a little bit. It's no longer just recovering this amulet. It's now shutting this recovering, down. Yeah. Recovering sentient beings. Yes. And at this time, he also sees a shady dude lurking in the alleyway between the bathhouse and the antique shop. And he's like touching the wall or whatever. And Gideon sees that and is like, that's weird. And so he goes up and squares up against this dude and is like, hey, who are you? Stop that. Why are you doing that? 
Yeah. And I think he learns this guy's name, doesn't he? Yeah, we find out it's Jackson. Yeah, we learn that this is Jackson, like Rose's ex, Jackson. But Gideon does not know, because she talks about, she does at some point tell him about her ex, but never tells Gideon what her ex's name is. Yeah, or at least not at this point. She doesn't at all until the very, very end. Okay. Yeah. So he he sees this dude. He learns that there's this guy, Jackson, who's doing some weird shady stuff with the wall of the bathhouse. He bells basically tells him to skedaddle. And Gideon knows that he's going to be meeting up with Rose again for their second date. But he's like, I better tell her now about this happening so that like, you know, it's it, this is important. This could be related to whatever weird magic stuff's going on in the bathhouse. So let me just tell her now. He writes her an email explaining yeah, the situation. Yeah, he emails this to her this was another point that was divisive between you and i because i think that's a sensible option and you said no i said no because the thing is he emails it to her but then doesn't bring it up isn't like hey did you read the email i mean i i gave you that yes he should, she should have, like, he should have followed up and, like, did you get there that email? There needed to be an in-person follow-up. If you're going to write the email, fine, I will concede. But there needs to be an in-person follow-up to the email, and there wasn't one. He didn't follow up because he was just horny. He was too horny I don't, at the time. This feels important. <laughs> the issue with this is that he writes this email to Rose, but then Rose hasn't been reading her emails because she's been depressed. So when she finally gets around to like looking at her backlog of emails, she's got bunches of matchmaking emails that she needs to catch up on. So she doesn't, for some reason, she doesn't start with the most recent emails in her inbox. So she doesn't read his email. I mean, some people do that. Some people just go back to like the first sent, like the last, like trying to chronologically go and like, i can kind of understand earliest. why why she would do that because she's like prioritizing people who emailed her first sure but i feel like i would also i mean presumably she gets more than just hey match make me emails presumably she also gets like you know bathhouse related emails or like here's Maybe your domino's gift card emails or Maybe i don't she's know got a different email for domino's gift cards maybe maybe she does I do. I have a spam email. I don't. I should get one for that. For promotions and stuff. Because I have so much spam in my inbox. But this this little tidbit about Jackson going and creeping on the bathhouse goes completely unknown to Rose. By the time of their second date, neither of them are really thinking about it. Because Gideon, once again, is like simping real hard. He's caught up in Rose's orbit like... Oh, Rose is great. I want to be with her forever. And I'm worried that if I tell her that, then I'll be creepy. But then also, second date. This is the second date. Yes. Rose has a birth control pendant, essentially. Yes. That is 100% effective, prevents her from getting pregnant whenever she has sex. For some fucking reason, their second date. She decides to take it off because she wants to feel like she's being bred. Yeah, this, this Chelsea and I agreed we had issues about. So the reason that she wants to take it off, Rose is feeling more confident. She goes into the main room of the bathhouse just to like deal with the magic thing. But she sees a friend of hers and her husband getting it on. And she is turned on by like how rough the two of them are going at it. And the idea of being like dominated by her partner. 
And so when she's having sex with Gideon again, first they go to a museum and it's nice, but Rose is way too horny to really focus on what's going on. And they make some jokes about Gideon being like an immortal sea creature um, yeah. who maybe sunk some ships at one point. Yeah. But when they're having sex, Rose is like, I don't want to use birth control. And Gideon's like, what? And I was like, what? Because and dude, I was like, what? Yeah, we were like, excuse me? Because, girl, you just met this dude. And her entire internal monologue is like, yeah, he's infertile, so he probably can't knock me out. But there's still a chance. But I'm okay with that. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad to have his kid. Date two. Date two. And it's like, girl, you just met this man. Yeah. You are not in a position to have a baby. You just want, you are literally, she's literally playing out a breeding kink with no backup plan here and without a committed partner. And it's just kind of like, you're literally having the internal monologue that you would keep the squid baby if you got knocked up, but you don't want to be in a relationship with this man and you don't, you, you don't have any prior desire to start a family prior to this. Yeah, prior to this, there was no mention of her wanting children. Yeah, this is the first mention that we've had of her being like, oh, I would love to have kids. It's literally like a throwaway thought where she is so horny that she's like dismissing the idea of consequence just because she thinks it's hot. You can be dominated without the possibility of getting pregnant. I mean, breeding kink is a thing. And that's clearly what Rose has. And you know what? Power to her. But this needs to be more well negotiated, especially. It is. Especially because on the first date, Gideon was like, that's what I'm insecure about. (laughs) Yeah. Like, all right. I'm not going to harsh anyone's kink as long as everyone is fine. But that's the thing about the breeding kink is if you don't think it through too much, there could be dire consequences. Yeah. There could be some intense consequences. You can play act that without actually having the risk of getting impregnated. Yeah. And I know that the risk makes it hot or whatever, but also Gideon literally told her on the first date that one of his biggest insecurities is that he might be infertile. And she's like, but that's kind of sexy. And I'm like, um, girl, I think you need therapy. Everyone needs therapy. Everyone needs therapy. Of course, Gideon goes along with it because he is simping so hard for her. And he's also kind of into it. Like the idea of like, what if I did knock her up? I do want to be a dad. At least that's pre-established in my backstory. Yeah. So they have sex. And he does, in fact, do do the, he doesn't actually impregnate her, but he do the breeding kink thing. Yeah. There's, there is so much, there's so much squidges everywhere. It's all over the walls. <laughs> I was venting to a friend about this. I had to tell somebody, I had to complain about this when I first listened to it because I was like, I need to scream because this is their second date and they met like four days ago. Were you complaining to Katie? Is that how you found out she read the book? Yeah, that's how I found it. Cause I was describing it to her. She's like, oh, I read this book. And I was like, Kate, What? But I was I was explaining this to a friend, and one of my friends is like, she wants the squid ink. And I was like, I hate that you said that. I hate that. I hate that so I much. I hate that so much. She wants the squid ink. Ugh. Why? I Why? hate that. Why did you put that in my brain? Why did you put it in my brain? I don't remember Be- you saying that last time. The whole point of this is schadenfreude, Chelsea. It's for us to suffer for others' amusement. I know. So they have sex and it's great. And honestly, like Rose is on cloud nine at this point. She's coming off the the upswing of her like rebound where she's like, 
everything is amazing. You know what? Gideon's great. I actually really like him. We get along super well and he's really good at the sex and he makes me feel good about myself. And he hasn't shamed me for any of my kinks once. And Gideon is like, I love this woman and want to marry her. But if I tell her that, that's creepy because we met like four days ago. Which he's right. Which is correct. Yes. And so what happens is when they're like out and about together and Gideon's friend, who's his business partner, sees them. He obviously knows because Gideon's talked to this dude about like, I met my mate. It's her. I love her. But also I'm not going to come on too strong. He's being a little cagey about it with his friend also. Yeah. But his friend sees them together and is like, oh, is this your mate? And Gideon panics because he's like, the answer I want is yes. But I haven't talked to Rose about that. And I haven't gotten her consent for a relationship yet. We're still kind of just doing this date and sleep together thing. If I say, yes, this is my mate, then that'll be creepy and intrusive. And I don't want her to feel weird. So I'm going to say no. Which is the smart and rational thought process. Unfortunately, Rose is not rational and freaks out about it and feels betrayed. Yeah, because she's all like, does that mean he doesn't like me? It's like, girl, Rose, you literally told him you didn't want to be in a relationship. Yeah. Like, you- This on you. This is on you. You're upset and freaking out and not having a crisis of confidence because he literally said, no, this woman is not my mate. Because you guys have not agreed to that or talked about it yet. Communication is key. Communication is important. And it very much feels like Rose is in this state of mind where she wants people to just know what she wants and is upset when they don't. Yeah. Because that was the same thing with the sex thing. She wanted Gideon to be able to just give her what she wanted without her saying it because she was afraid of getting shamed. She wants Gideon to know that she's now good with being in a relationship despite the fact that neither of them has talked about that with each other yet. And she's upset when he doesn't. And that affects the way she interacts with him. Because now she's like, oh, is he just using me for sex? Oh, does he not care about me? Oh, am I actually just a slut? And it's like, you can be a slut and still be a valid person. Like, come on. Yeah. Sex positivity. But also, it puts this weird, like, rift and awkwardness in their relationship. Yeah. And some more stuff happens in this moment. Especially, it's made worse. Especially. Because Jackson shows up at the bathhouse. But actually, to be fair, she girl bosses her way through it. And is like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, she does. She, I hated the phrase girl bosses her way through it. But she does... (laughs) She does indeed tell him what for and kick his ass out of the bathhouse. Yeah, so that's good. That's nice. And one thing that she does notice that makes her feel better is when she sees Jackson again, she can see his soul threads again, can tell, like, you know, the nature of his soul or whatever. And originally they were a perfect match for her own soul threads, but now looking at them, she's like, they are nothing like mine. Like, I don't know what happened, but this dude is nothing like me his soul threads are not compatible with mine in the slightest yeah so it makes her feel a little bit better about it a she's like how the hell did i make that mistake but b she's like maybe i'm not bad at matchmaking yeah and she actually says that oh maybe whatever was happening to the bathhouse that was siphoning off magic was also messing with me something to those lines yeah yeah So the presence of Jackson still kind of creeps her out a little bit and weirds her out a little bit because 
you know, like he's her ex who gave her a lot of psychological trauma and she's trying to get over him. Yeah. Uh, So she kicks his ass to the curb. And I don't know if it's before or after the third date that I think it's after the third date that he tells her about the sting that they're going to do. Yes, but on the third date is when she, I think it's the third date. It could have been the second one when she tells him that she, one of her kinks is voyeurism. Yeah, she does in, want to be watched. I think it was the second date because it was part of that was the seeing her friend and her husband go at it. She's like, ooh, I would like oh, yeah. that to be me. So she does mention that she does want to have sex while being watched, but they don't go, they don't do anything about that just yet. Right. Yeah. So. Rose is kind of like going back in the depression spiral because Gideon, without consulting her, didn't say that they were mated to each other, which is true. And you can tell how I feel about those feelings she has. They are irrational. Yeah, but she is also just really horny. Yeah. So if I remember correctly, like she basically just like wants to skip the third date entirely and just have sex. Like Gideon's like, hello. I'm here to go on our third date. And she's like, what if we didn't do that? Actually, what if we just had sex? Yeah. Because she's just so just she wants the ink so bad. She's also back on birth control. She's also back on birth control. And they have that conversation where she's feeling so insecure about her relationship with Gideon. Again, narrated by a woman who sounds like she's about to cry any moment. So made me want to punch her in the face where she's saying like, oh, but like, I don't feel secure enough to do this. And I don't want to do the breeding kink stuff because you don't like me. And I'm like, you were so ready to have this dude's baby like three days ago. Yes. And now the second he's saying, oh, by the way, we're not in a relationship because we have not agreed to be in a relationship. You're like, he doesn't like me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I Babies should not be brought into this equation right now. No, 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 neither of them is ready for a child. My God. But they do have sex. And they enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't remember the details of this one. I don't know if there was I anything there specific. I do remember at one point that, like, she gets all sad. I think it is this instance where she gets all sad and tries to, like, run away because she's really upset. And Gideon has to basically, like, he, he has to come and explain to her that he does, in fact, like, love her for realsies and want to be with her. But he wasn't sure how she felt about it. Yeah. And that's the big miscommunication thing that made me frustrated with this book is that Gideon decides that he is not going to be upfront about his desires at first because he doesn't want to scare her off. And then because she assumes that he only wants to have sex with her three times, when she eventually does catch feels for him, she gets angsty that he doesn't want her to be in a relationship with her. And again, it's just like, just talk to each other. <laughs> Guys. It is so hard for people to communicate, apparently. I, apparently it is. Apparently so. I, I mean, don't think so. I've seen humans firsthand just like not talk to each other. And it does That's grind true. my gears. Like, yeah, my my me over here having never been in a relationship being like, why don't you guys just talk to each other? <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking of your mom and dad, though. Oh, God, we're not going to. <laughs> this is my safe space, Chelsea. Let me have this here. Is this a safe space? My mom probably doesn't listen to this part of the podcast. So, yes. Okay. I hope. Anyway, um, mom, if you're listening, I'm deeply sorry. We'll talk about this later. Uh, <laughs> when when we get to this point, like they make up. Everything's hunky dory again. Gideon expresses to Rose 
that he is going to go on the sting operation to break up this trafficking ring that's being run out of the antique shop nearby. And she's like, wait, what? They're doing that at the antique shop next door? And he's like, yes. And it's probably going to be dangerous. So please, I would feel better if you did not like get involved in it. Like, I didn't think you're going to, but can you just not be in the area of it she that says, night, please? She says no. She says yes, but then she does no. <laughs> That's true. She tells him, yeah, she won't. And then she lies, I guess. I mean, it wasn't a lie. She didn't intend to be a part of it. But then she finds out that it's Jackson doing it. Yeah. And it turns out she finally reads the email, I think. Isn't that what happens? Like, she finally reads the email? I think she does finally read the email, yeah. And she's like, wait, was Jackson the one siphoning the magic from the bathhouse? Is that what was going on? And it turns out, yes, that is what's going on. Yeah. And part of the reason that the soul threads looked all weird is because they were actually specifically like Jackson specifically did something to himself to make it easier for him to get into the bathhouse, basically. Yeah. And like his soul threads looked like her magic because it was her magic. Like, yeah, like he had his soul threads were changed because of the fact that he was like eating her magic or whatever. Yeah. So Gideon is next door breaking up this ring with his demon partner and they realize that like there's a bit of a problem there's two dudes who they're running the ring they're able to capture them pretty quickly they're able to get all of the women who were going to be sold in the auction and sort of like get them to safety they haven't gotten out of the building yet but they're trying to secure the location so this is the point when rose walks in and at this point they have jackson like apprehended yes this is why I was saying, like, no, she didn't tell Gideon her ex's name because it's at this point, Gideon's like, all right, we got to take you in to the Magic Council. Rose comes in and is like, that's my ex-boyfriend. And Gideon's like, I might have to kill you now. <laughs> Gideon's like, oh, this guy? Mm, murder is now an option. Which, like, good for you, Gideon. Supportive partner. But yeah. Yeah, there, his partner has to leave. Gideon's, like, business partner has to leave to get back up or get the other guy that they were capturing out to safety. And there is a thing that's going on, like, Gideon is, is trying to stop Rose from murdering this dude because Jackson has information. He's not working alone. Yeah. Jackson has information about the people they are working for and on behalf of who are very powerful and influential in magic society, but Jackson's not going to give those names up because he, if he does, that puts a target on his back and he'll probably be killed. Right. So he doesn't want to say anything and Rose wants to kill him because he's her ex-boyfriend who was stealing her magic from her family and using it to entrap women so that he could sell them as sex slaves against their will, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know what? Relatable, understandable. This is the part of Rose's thought process that I'm like, that's fair. Yep. But what happens is that Gideon has like magic handcuffs on him, but Jackson has some kind of tattoo or something. He is some kind of magic put on him that prevents him from being restrained. He is not able to be handcuffed. Which is something that Gideon would have known. Had he followed up on the email because this is something Rose knew. Yes. If you had followed up in person on the email. If Rose had just read her emails in a timely manner. No, 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 no. You follow up in person. So basically this one email was the reason this is all happening. 
because like, yeah, Rose's like, why didn't you tell me it was Jackson? And he's like, why didn't you read my email? And they, they, Jackson busts free of his restraints and he activates these collars that are on the women that had been captured, which like put them in pain. And it's, he's basically trying to hold them hostage. And this is a dire situation because he's technically outnumbered now. There's three hostages that Jackson has. He's a, he's a magician. He's a witch. He can do magic. And if Gideon or Rose do something, it's very likely that these women will be hurt. And so Rose decides to just do this thing that her family used to be known for, apparently, because the benefit of being able to see soul threads is a inherited magical skill that is passed down through the generations of her family. But that is like a side effect, not the main thing that they can do. The main yeah. thing they can do is manipulate people's souls. Which is terrifying. As a, yeah. And apparently at one point back in history, they decided that they were going to not do that so that they wouldn't scare people. And instead they opened a sex bathhouse instead. Yeah. <laughs> but what she could do and does is manipulates Jackson's soul to essentially strip him of all free will. Yep. She like magic lobotomizes this dude. Yep. She turns him into like a talking vegetable. All of his motor function and like brain function to an extent is there. He can answer questions and do tasks, but he cannot do anything of his own volition. So, which is terrifying. Yeah. So basically, she just like brain deads this guy, and he is now just like he's not a person anymore. He's he a can potato. still. He can still give them all the information that he they want, but he he has no will of his own. He's a talking potato. And it's irreversible. Yeah. And that's terrifying as a concept. Yeah, it is. But it does save the ladies. And like the dude was an asshole who was going to sell them unwillingly into sexual slavery as part of a magic trafficking ring. So like, did yeah. he not deserve it a little bit? I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. I am saying the implications of this magic existing is terrifying. Indeed. Indeed it is, Chelsea. But, and because she did this, this is a very difficult magical thing to do. It takes a lot of, like, focus and energy. And so Rose is, like, wiped out by it. She's super drained. She's kind of, like, a little woozy in the head. So when Gideon's partner comes back, he's like, hey, I'm back. Whoa, what did I miss? And he says, okay, clear this dude's not a threat anymore. I'll take care of all of this. And Gideon's like, I will take Rose home and put her to bed because she's kind of out of it. Here's the thing, though. Rose, is, Rose never told Gideon where she lived. Yeah. Gideon knows where Rose's house is. Because he stalked her. Because he stalked her. And so he takes her home. And as soon as she gets home, she starts feeling a little bit better and she realizes, wait, I never told you where I lived. How did you, how did you know where I lived? And he's like, hey, so fun story. I stalked you. Yeah. And she's not as alarmed by that as she should be. She should be absolutely more alarmed by it. I think that it's like she's just been getting the, the tentacle so good that she's chill with it. Yeah. Like the cost benefit of, of like, yes, he did stalk me. But man, the tentacle is good. So she decides it's worth it. She's really not as, as freaked about the whole stalking thing as she should be. Yeah. And Gideon comes clean and he's like, I think that you're my soulmate, basically. And I want to be with you forever. And I love you desperately. And I would like to be mates with you, please. And she says that's difficult because you don't have soul threads. 
And he's like, oh, I do, though. You just can't see them because I am a squid creature. And by nature, we hide. So I have I a girlfriend. Instinct- she goes to another school. <laughs> uh, I, he says he instinctively hides his soul threads. I don't think she ever she like he offers to show them to her. And she decides no, because she says that she doesn't need to see them to know that they're like compatible. A good match. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a nice sentiment. She kind of gets over this idea of like soul threads being a requirement for like compatibility. She's now met this dude. And in a way that kind of goes against the soulmate trope because like she realizes that she is very good. Like instead of at first sight, like she did with Jackson, knowing that like, oh, he's my soulmate because of these soul threads and we're going to be together forever. But then the relationship was actually horrible when she actually did it. She got to know Gideon, spent time with him, and learned that they were compatible by doing things together. So that's why I was saying, like, I give this book a little bit of of leeway with the soulmate trope. Because, yes, on Gideon's side, it's absolutely just, like, love at first sight. You're my soulmate. We're going to be together forever. But on Rose's side, the moral is very much that, like, she chooses not to know whether Gideon is her soulmate because at this point in their relationship, it doesn't matter. She wants to be with him anyway. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. And then they have sex and they get bonded, magic bonded. Which seems quick. It was very fast. And also, it turns out that the implications of that are, like, their life something. Yeah, different. something that should have been talked about a little bit more. Yeah, because, like, she might be immortal now, and he might not be immortal now, and they don't actually know, and they didn't talk about that in advance. Yeah, that should have been a conversation. There's a lot of things that should have been a conversation in advance. It's true. But this time around, when the demon buddy comes and is like, oh, hey, how's your, um, you know... Gideon's like, you mean my mate? And then he's able to, like, Will Smith point at her, like, yes. And they all lived happily ever after. Oh, and then the epilogue is she catches up on her emails and Gideon has a surprise for her and it's voyeurism. It is voyeurism. He, I think he blindfolds her, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he like takes her to the middle of the bathhouse and it's like full of all the regular she likes and they have like a sex party for her where everyone just gets to watch her get railed by tentacles, which yeah, is what she likes. Yeah, there's a couple of ladies who are super jealous of the tentacles. Yeah. The ending of the book is everyone just being like, do I like tentacles? I think I like tentacles. Yeah, pretty much. And that's Stock by the Kraken. Yeah, that's the book. That's the book. I feel like we went through it quicker this time because we remembered more about it because we'd already talked about <laughs> it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Like we'd, we'd streamlined the process of discussing this book. Maybe we should fuck up the first recording more often. No, I like the first recording. It's yeah, it Chelsea's shaking her head. But anywho, what do you what do you give this book, Chelsea? What do you rate it? God, I can't remember what I rated it. I think I rated it four out of five stuffed tentacles in a vagina. Oh my. That's so many stuffed tentacles in a vagina. Yes, it is, Christina. It is. Yeah, it is. I guess it depends on how big the tentacles are. They were described as girthy. They were described as significant in size. I'm gonna give it like 3.75 dates because you kind of skipped out on the other ones because you were just too horny. Yeah. 
Because there's a lot of sex in this book. This is mostly a sex book. There's a little bit of the true crime sprinkled in. But like, this is about, hey, kids, do you like breeding kink and also tentacles? Hey, kids, are you just trying to read a book about sex? We got you. We got you. Lillian Lark has got you. Yeah. And it's not gross sex. Well, depending on how you feel about tentacles. But I mean, like, we've read a lot of books where the sex is still very patriarchal and heteronormative. Even mm-hmm. some of the gay sex. But this was not. And we, we you know, have read very much worse. Oh, God. Chelsea's having flashbacks again. To but, everything we've read. But that was Stock by the Kraken. That was this month's Part of the Paranormal. Ideally, Chelsea's audio is, is good. Ideally, my audio is good. And you're able to listen to this. If we fucked up again, that's it. We're done. I'm going to cry. No, Celeste already paid us. We have to read her book. Well, yes, but this is this the book that Celeste paid us to read? Oh, no, no, no. You're saying if we if this one gets messed up, we're just giving up on this one. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. But thank you, listeners. Thank you for listening to Parlor of the Paranormal. We will be back next month. We're actually, because we're a little bit behind, we're going to try and squeeze two books into one month, like two tentacles into a vagina. Okay. One of them is from Celeste. One of them is from, one of the tentacles is from Celeste, and it might involve werewolves. Ooh. Celeste specifically apparently tried to find the worst book. It's so bad. You haven't started it yet. It's so bad. Yeah. Well, I hate it. Six hours, which means it'll only take me three hours to finish. Oh, it's so bad, Celeste. Why? Anyway, we'll be back. She likes it when we suffer. I know. We'll be back next month with another book. Bye, Chelsea. Bye, Christina. Bye, Mel. officially their job and it hasn't happened recently egg sneezing in the background it's i can see him it's very cute oh baby please am i interrupting you i'm sorry um (laughs) (laughs) hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.